But this morning is, is a little bit different in that uh, we are going to be getting into another one of the questions that was asked by, actually several questions that was asked by somebody in the church. We're in the middle of a, a sermon series called Any Questions? Question mark. And uh, we're, answer, we're, we're responding to any questions you might have about God, about the Bible, about Christian spirituality, church history, whatever, whatever question you might have, we want to respond to that question. And so this morning we are going to be responding to, to another one of your questions. And I'm going to have a little, a little help this morning as me and Mike are going to be working on this together and I'll call him up in a little while. But I thought it would be good to hear from more than just one person on this topic. Last week... We, we talked about answering the question of where did evil come from? You know, where, how did Satan fall away? Did, did, did angels have free will at one point? All of those kinds of questions about Satan and the origins of evil. And what are angels? Do they walk among us? All those kinds of questions that people have about angels and demons. And I did my best to respond uh, to those questions last week. And this week we're going to be answering another set of questions, actually five different questions. Which, uh, which are asked in the same vein, which seemed appropriate to split off into another sermon. And it's a topic that is uh, scantily covered, often not really thought about by, by Christians or other people, but something that we need to be thinking about if we're going to be ministering to this generation of people who are in bondage to, uh, to evil and to, to sin and death. You know, we need to have a little more understanding about this topic. And this topic is about, more particularly, evil and the nature of evil and, and demons and, and Satan. And here's the questions that were asked. What power does Satan have? How does he use demons to accomplish his goals? Has anyone thought about that question before? I have in the past. I still think about it. How much of the sin and temptation in our lives is from us? And how much does Satan or demons put in our path? How do you identify or differentiate a demon from a heart attitude or lifestyle? Good question. Do people who are possessed by a demon know that they are possessed? And how can a Christian tell if someone has a demon in them? Pretty interesting topic, interesting question. You know, we're in a, we're in a world today where spirituality and the spiritual realm is being embraced more than previous generations. People outside of the church, people on the podcast that you listen to and I listen to who do not know Jesus are talking about supernatural phenomenon um, from, from ghosts to demons to angels. And there was a time in our world where we really had almost a cultural pride where you know, we understand how the world works. That's all primitive. That stuff is just foolishness, we know how the world works, it's all, it's all runs a certain way, and blah, 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 blah. And there's been sort of a pride towards the spiritual realm, but the world is coming around to the fact that there is a spiritual realm out there. There is good and evil forces that we cannot see in the world. And there are things that the Bible talks about, uh, things that Jesus talked about and dealt with, and things that we also need to be aware of. Um, Rob Reimer, who a lot of the, a lot of the material about... Uh, this topic, you know, I, I, I've, I've borrowed from it and really been blessed from, who wrote the book Soul Care, you know, he says, we're entering into a phase in history, in world history, where people are more interested and interactive with the spiritual realm with the least amount of knowledge and wisdom on how to do that properly and safely. And so we're, we have the most openness to spirituality, 
People are really, really open. Um, but, we, but especially Christians who should know a little bit better um, or, or know a little bit more don't have the knowledge and the wisdom to really interact with the spiritual realm in a way that glorifies Christ and lifts up Jesus. As we're, if we're going to talk about uh, these questions about the power of Satan and, and demons, you know, I think we have to first look at God's aim. What's God's end and desire for his children, for all people, if it were possible? And John 10.10 10 is a great passage. You probably know it. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus says. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full. You know, Jesus' desire for us is life abundant. Life abundant. Um, As far as is possible on this side of heaven and perfection, to be released from oppression, to have a full life that's not limited. 2 Corinthians 5.17 likewise says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now, Christianity, from its very beginning, when you first start following Jesus, is about taking off the old and putting on the new. Um, the old has gone. The new is here. St- stolen, killed, and destroyed in bondage. Uh, freedom. Freedom in Christ. These are the truths that echo in our ears as believers. Another truth that we, that we know, perhaps deep down, is that we are not experiencing all the time the freedom from sin and evil that perhaps we'd like to be experiencing or that we think the Bible is telling us we should be experiencing. And that leads to a lot of self-condemnation on the part of a lot of Christians. People that move beyond godly sorrow, which is appropriate, and, and conviction, which is from the Holy Spirit and leads to life, and they go into this self-condemnation, this self-hatred, this self-loathing, this sense of um, I, I don't have it. Other people have it. I don't have it. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my spirituality. And though Christians know the truth of the verse in Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, they still feel that condemnation. They still hear that voice in their head constantly. Um, very much a religious sort of voice saying, well, you know, you're not really a believer because, and you, and you stand condemned for that reason. And people live with that from minute to minute. Maybe that's you. That was definitely me before I had my experience with the Holy Spirit um, when, I, when I really came to Christ. Grew up in a church in a religious environment, and um, I really, I was convinced that God was real from the time I was born, and I was convinced that I was unacceptable to God. And I just wanted to fly under the radar, if at all possible. And I, it was very depressing to believe in God, but not believe that God had chosen me or loved me. Very depressing. So many of us, we've heard that verse. There's no condemnation. But then our head just starts spinning. And you know it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes our problem is that we, are, 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 we have, we have um, sinned and we've lost our peace because we've, we've sinned and even walked in sin and we've lost our freedom. And now the sin is ruling over our lives. The Bible talks about that idea. Like, you used to go to the, to, to the, to the um, well, I'm trying to, I, 
you, you, you used to go to something just because you wanted to. You wanted to do something sinful. You, used to, you wanted to um, do something that felt good in the moment. But then pretty soon, that thing starts to rule you. And then you have to go. And you're in bondage to something that you never thought you'd be in bondage to. Common experience of Christians. You know, sometimes the problem is simply we need to repent of our sin and turn to Jesus, be forgiven, and walk out the forgiveness and salvation. Sometimes the problem is that we don't know the truth of Scripture well enough about our identity in Christ. We, don't, we have not personalized the truth of what, Bible, what God says about himself in our own lives. But sometimes, sometimes it's a spiritual problem. Sometimes it's a spiritual problem. Sometimes people are oppressed by demons. Sometimes Christians are oppressed by demons. Yeah, I will, I will promise you um, that that will be something that many people will fight tooth and nail. But unfortunately, unless we realize that it's possible and that it's true, we can't really get free from it. It's a spiritual problem. And sometimes you've, you've kind of exhausted all of your options. Maybe there's something going on beyond what you can see. Maybe there's a power and an oppression on you that is beyond a consequence of your own sin. Maybe. We, we learned last week that Satan, since Satan couldn't defeat Jesus at the cross, when it says Jesus crushed his head and Satan struck his heel, because Satan couldn't defeat Jesus, in fact, his, his fate was sealed at the cross, Satan has gone after God's children. He's gone after God's kids who are called by his name, they're his, and tried to steal, kill, and destroy from God's people. And as we saw last week, demons work very hard to tempt Christians, to coerce Christians, to push them beyond their boundaries, to entrap Christians, ultimately kill and destroy God's people. That's what they want to do. And since Jesus had this victory over Satan at the cross, something we need to realize is that even this powerful spiritual darkness can be overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. Even something as crazy as the idea of, de being, of being demonized, of being oppressed by, by demons. So, if, so the, the question was, is Satan powerful? Has Satan used his demons to accomplish his goals? Well, the answer is, yeah. Satan and demons are powerful. They are. And oftentimes, um, they, they, can, they can go after someone who does not believe in Jesus, and it's, it's no, no big problem. But they can also go after Christians and cause Christians a lot of trouble if they do not equip themselves to deal with them. So my goal with today's message is not to convince you of my opinion, of my opinions, though there are some of those in the sermon. You know, my goal is simply to re reawaken you to the fact that there is a spiritual realm. 
you know, that's important. And that the Bible teaches us how to interact with the spiritual realm in a way that is um, going to bring freedom. So I'm hoping that this, sti- this sticks with you, what me and Mike share with you, and you're able to move from where you are to a different spot. And I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're saying, this is great, I understand. Or maybe you're just saying, I've never talked about this before. Or maybe you're saying, I think, there's some- I think there is something wrong beyond the normal stuff, and I need some freedom. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Now this is a letter to Christians, right? To Christians, not non-Christians. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Resist the devil. He is seeking to destroy you. And as you resist, remember, he's doing the same thing to everybody else who follows Jesus. That's what it says. The family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And you know, the sufferings look different from country to country, culture to culture, but there is oppression, there is the same types of fruit from this evil. Ephesians 6.12, this is where uh, the spiritual gifts are listed, and Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. Your enemy is evil in the spiritual realms, in the heavenly realms. So if we were to ask the question, has Satan used demons to accomplish his goals? They try to steal, kill, and destroy Christians. They try to derail Christians and pry them from security. So how much of the sin and temptation in our lives is from us, and how much does Satan or demons put in our path is the next question. How do you identify or differentiate a demon from a heart attitude or, or, a, or a lifestyle? You know, yeah, sometimes... Sin is, is, is common in the sense that sin and temptation arises from our own sinful nature, our own flesh, and our own evil desires that we have, our selfish desires. As people with a sinful nature, this comes very naturally to us. But the Bible teaches that sometimes sin and, sin and temptation actually comes from the demonic. In Acts 5.3, story of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament They're part of the church. They, along with everyone else in the church, or many people in the church, sold their property in order to give money to the church to grow. And and this is a time when the Holy Spirit was at at work in a very manifested way. I I invite you to think about like the Ark of the Covenant. Remember how you touch the Ark and you get zapped? That's how holy God's holiness was just pressing in, like the sun just pressing in at this time in human history. The problem with Ananias and Sapphira is, yeah, they sold their land, but they didn't give all the money to the apostles. That wasn't the sin either. The sin was that they told everyone, this is all the money we got for the land. And they lied to the people, to the Holy Spirit. Because of God's great holiness, because they had sinned in the, in the presence of that kind of manifested pre- presence. In Acts 5.3 it says, Then Peter said, Ananias, 
How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? And Ananias fell down dead. Again, these were two Christians in the community. But they messed with the holiness of God and they got, they got burned. And the reason, Peter gives, is that Satan filled their hearts. Causing them to lie to the Spirit and to the church. In Genesis 4-7, in the midst of Cain and Abel and all, all that went on there, and the, um, in the beginning as evil was starting and then progressing quickly, God likens sin to a ferocious animal. So sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. So, you know, the, sometimes temptation in our lives is from us. Sometimes there is a spiritual trap being set for us by our enemy. And the, the Bible encourages us to be alert, to recognize this kind of thing is happening to everybody in the church, and we have to, to be careful. So how do we differentiate the work of Satan and demons from our own heart attitude or lifestyle choice? That's what was the second part of that question. And the answer is sometimes we cannot discern where one begins and the other ends. But clearly, that when we make a practice of sinning, when we get into a habit in our lives, or we commit to a lifestyle of sin, we've submitted ourselves to that sin in a way that we may be giving more power to demons than we think. 1 John 3.8 goes as far as to say, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. This is talking about willful, perpetual, unrepentant sin. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 1 Corinthians 7.5 is a passage about marriage. It's about not depriving your spouse of the physical intimacy that, that rightfully belongs in a marriage, husband to wife, wife to husband. It says in 1 Corinthians 7.5, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent agreed upon for a time so you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we're even right there. It's saying Mar uh, this, this intimacy is made for the marriage. Do not deprive each other because this is a prime time for Satan to come in and do something bad. So people can be tempted. We don't know where, sometimes where one, one ends and one begins, but we have to understand that it could be a partially demonic issue. Especially in the case of willful, continual sinning that, that people devote themselves to. But the good news is, just as Jesus crushed the head of Satan at the cross, you know, Romans 16, 19 to 20 says, if you're excellent in what is good, innocent of evil, the God of peace will, will crush Satan underneath your feet. So the, though the serpent's head was crushed by Jesus, you know, he, he can crush it by, by us as well. For wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. It's also why James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves not to evil, but to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. You know, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. These are all the truth. These are all the truth. There really isn't anything to fear in this realm. It's not like Hollywood said it was going to be. Uh, all the spinning heads and vomiting, though I, I suppose those things could happen. It's a normal part of Christian discipleship 
to be on the lookout and be on your guard and be sober-minded for demonic and satanic attacks. And it's a part of our lives to, that to also participate in the ministry of Jesus and the disciples to assist each other in getting free from demonic oppression when it should come upon us. So that leaves us with these remaining questions. Do people who are possessed by a demon know they are possessed? And how can a Christian tell if someone has a demon in them? And for this, I want to invite Mike up to share from Mark 5 a little bit. We're going to kind of work together to, to talk about this topic uh, this morning. The mic for you, bud. Mike for Mike. <laughs> Morning, everyone. Um, I had a couple of ways I wanted to do this, but I just feel prompted to pray before we, we get into this. Um, Heavenly Father, I just, I just ask that people's hearts would be ready to receive and consider um, what we have for them today, what you have for them, Lord. Um, and I pray that uh, they would be able to discern what is right and what is wrong with uh, the way culture is and, and uh, the way see these uh, things in life, but uh, I pray this all in Jesus' name. So um, I ask that um, you guys to turn to Mark 5, verses 1 through 20 we're going to work through, and um, it's a story of, or account of uh, a demon-possessed man. So they went across to the lake, to the region of Grecians. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the boat, the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one was no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him, and night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied. For we are many. And he began, he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impurities came out, went into the pigs. The herd, the herd about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the, the lake and were drowned. Those, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who was, had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how, how he can, how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him and all about the people, and all the people were amazed. Um, so what do we see here? One of the questions was, can people, Christians, be possessed? Can they be demonized? Can demons inhabit and try to mess with our minds and, and cause and wreak havoc in our life? Mark 5 completely shows that 100% true. Um, but it shows a few other things, too. It shows that the ways you can tell, um, superhuman strength, that's not normal to, Christ, to, to, to humans. Um, cutting yourself, mutilation, that's not normal to, to regular human uh, tendencies. Um, isolation. Christ made us relational people. He hid himself in a cave. And the other thing is he was tortured. Tortured by them. That's not normal to human. Uh, the other thing that some of you may not have seen that I find cool is that the demons know the authority of Christ. They know he's the ruler. He's the Alpha, the Omega. And Jesus shows mercy to the, to the demon possessed the demons by allowing them to go in the pigs when he could have just sent them right to the, the pit. Um, if he can do that for them, then why can't he do that for us? Why he can't show mercy for us? So, I just, I feel strongly that nowadays we've, we've come so far to the point where um, Satan has, has crept in and, and messed things up. And I feel that we need to be on guard, but not so much to the point where we're, we're looking like a witch hunt. You know, these things are they're real, they're true. And um, I believe that uh, if Jesus has done this, then we should do it as well. Yeah, I invited Mike up because we've actually done a lot of prayer ministry together and with a couple other people in the church, you know, praying for people that are oppressed by demonic oppression and seeing people have long-term freedom from things they thought they were stuck with for life. So that's why this is so important. That's why this is so, so, so amazing. It's such an amazing ministry that Jesus, Jesus himself was reluctant to limit the ministry. In Mark 9 and Luke 9, uh, the disciples come tattletailing to Jesus. Hey, there's someone casting out demons in your name over there, Jesus. 
And Jesus says, let them do it. Whoever's not against us is for us. Now, he, he, had not, he was not restrictive in this area of deliverance ministry. He even let people that might have had impure motives use his name and authority to cast out demons. He, he was generous in that way, in other words. There are many ways for a Christian to be delivered, many, many methods, but it's all through the name of Jesus Christ. It's all through the name of Jesus. The powerful name of Jesus that crushed the head of Satan sets people free, right. gets us excited. Yeah. It's one of the most exciting ministries that we've ever been a part of because we've seen life change in a way that, um, that we didn't know was possible. Is it on? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, so to back up a little bit, that, that part where I forgot the verse, but Nate had said that um, even Christ will come through us and allow us to crush. Like, think of how powerful that is. If, if he can do that through us, like, there's no reason to... to, to um, to be afraid of these things, mm-hmm. but it just shows an example of, of how much amazing power our, our Lord and Savior has That's over right. these. That's right. So, as, as part of the, the discipleship process in the early church, in the first 100 years of the church, people that were converted to Christ before their baptism were brought through a prayer of exorcism, of deliverance, and they were, uh, they were prayed for in that way before they were baptized because this was just a normative part of church life. And, um, and that seemed very important to them. You know, conversion doesn't necessarily cast demons out, but deliverance does, and Jesus did. Um, demons get access to, to Christians when Christians don't respect the power of evil. Time and time again, I'll say this, you have to respect it's not that you think that it's more powerful than Jesus. It's that you don't respect that it's powerful at all. And sin is powerful. Demons and Satan are powerful. We need to respect these things. When you, when you, mess, with, uh, when you mess with certain kinds of, of sins and get into habits with sin, it can open up, you're opening up doors to something that might not be the Holy Spirit. Two sources of spiritual power, the God and, and Satan, right? Um, you don't want to open your doors up to, to Satan. Plus, you know, demons and evil does not fight fair. Sometimes people get demons in them through being sinned against. And that's a really sad thing. Someone that gets sinned against can have a demon cling on to them through that kind of uh, situation. And people have uh, that that feeling of torture, that feeling of of, uh, wanting to harm themselves, of of, of self-loathing, of hearing voices in their heads. Sometimes it's psychological, but again, sometimes it's spiritual. And I have, I want to say this strongly because, you know, I think about eight years ago, someone at church referred someone who didn't go to church to me to help them with, this, with a problem like this. And I was not able to help that person. And now I don't know how to even reach that person. Like, I don't, I don't have a contact information for that person. And I'm so sad, and I didn't know, I didn't know what to do back then. It was someone who, who was literally tortured who, was, who had seen psychologists, who was on medication, who was in their right mind, but was just tortured by condemning thoughts, circular condemning thoughts, thoughts of self-harm. They were, they were tortured by, they were too scared to go to sleep because they felt that, they felt that um, if they fell asleep, they were concerned about spiritual beings you know, violating them in their sleep. Because, and when talking to this person, you find out they have a history, of be, they were abused as a child. You know, this makes so much sense, how evil doesn't fight fair. And uh, this person just, 
was suffering with us. And I, and I, as much as I prayed and worked with him, you know, I just did not have much of a framework to think about this ministry. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's one of those things where, where however you do it, it's through the name of Jesus Christ. The authority of Jesus can cast out demons. And we can follow the model of, of Jesus. We can follow what he did in, in Mark 5. And, uh, and, and what, he, what he did and what the disciples did following Jesus was they used discernment. They used discernment to understand what was going on, to pray specifically to get people free. And that's what they did. Um, so I, I, said, I said, you know, certain kinds of sin can open people up. Alternative spiritualities can open people up. What else you got? Uh, so sexual sin, addiction, mm-hmm. abuse. Uh, yeah, so abuse. So physical, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. Sometimes there's demonic spirits there. Um, I've even seen with mental health, um, having multi-personalities and sometimes multiple IQ, uh, those can sometimes be, uh, demonic. And again, not, it's, this is not a witch hunt. This is just meant to open you to an, to an idea that there's a spiritual realm that we need to be respectful of the power of evil enough to trust Jesus to get each other free from this stuff. And every Christian is given the Holy Spirit and given discernment to be able to pray for and bring freedom to the captive. That's why Jesus came, to set the captives free. Um, so this is a ministry that we offer. We, we pray for people in Jesus' name regularly. Um, we have other friends in the church that do as well. It's just something where we want to um, we want to help people that are feeling like they're, they're in captivity, they're suffering. Yes, it could be just your sin. Yes, it could just be a psychological issue and you might just need counseling or medication or you might, you know, these are all very important things. But if you've exhausted everything that you know and you're still in bondage, maybe there's something spiritual going on. Maybe. Yeah. It's very common. It's common enough that everyone in the early church was prayed for in this way. It was a prerequisite for church membership and baptism in the body of Christ. We go, through, um, we go through Soul Care, which is, which is a book that has seven chapters. The final chapter is about deliverance, but the other chapters are about letting God's light into your life, dealing with secrets, dealing with, uh, with issues of healing that need to happen, uh, dealing with um, generational sins that, that your family has kind of bequeathed to you. Thanks, Church. Mom and Dad. Um, <laughs> and those kind of things that, yeah. that, that just really keep us in bondage. And once, once you get through all of that work in, in soul care and let Jesus' light into all that stuff, if you're still having issues, hey, it's time to get prayed for in this way. And, and you know what? In our experience, when people do the work uh, beforehand, when you pray for them in Jesus' name for them to be delivered from demons, the They're demons free. just leave. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where it's very, um, it's very encouraging and it's, and it's, it's part of discipleship. It's part of it's part of the regular part of our life as Christians, even though it's not talked about too much, to, to go through some kind of process to get what's in the dark into the light, to bring healing to the broken, freedom for the captive, recovery of sight to the blind. Right. And this, this is our passion. This is our heart and something we've enjoyed. We, 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 we piloted it with our small group a few years ago, and we got to pray for each person in our group. And to this day, there's reports of, since that night, I have been free. After years of counseling and medication, that, this is what solved it. Do they still need counseling and medication? Yeah, keep doing that. Keep doing that if you need it. But this was the kicker for me. 
you know? And I think that's something Jesus would like us to continue doing. And if we, if we just kind of close ourselves off to it, we're closing off a large part of the ministry that Jesus wants to do among us. Right. So, so I'll give you my testimony on it. Um, when I first came to New Life, it was pretty steadfast. We were living in Schuylerville, and I felt the tap saying, go to church. Well, it scared me enough to come to church. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> it was like this in a loud voice. Oh, wow. Um, That's probably God. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> so, most new believers don't sit in the front row. Guess what I did? Right in the front row. After that, I heard Nathan preach about, um, I forgot what exactly the, it was for preaching, but I heard, ba- yeah, <laughs> baptism was the, the next thing. He, he said they were trying to get in order, and I was like, oh, maybe I should do that. No clue what it was about. Did it. Um, that day was pretty different. Um, there were supposed to be, I think, like five or six others. It ended up being just me. Um, and some people were saying, like, birds were flying over the top, and they said that that happened with Jesus. But let me get to the, the, the next part is um, discipleship. So Nate discipled me, and in that process, he was just rolling out soul care through uh, the leaders and then going to do it with small groups. Um, so I joined the small group, and through that, I got relieved from severe depression, PTSD, anxiety. Um, I still have a little bit of my father wound, but that's been slowly been being pulled away because of here, a community with other leaders in our church and other people in our church have helped me to fill that that's been filled. So, yeah, and to this day, now look at me. Like, I used to be someone that would be, I used to play rock and roll for crying out loud in bars all the time. Now I'm in a church on stage with the pastor giving sermon. I mean, like, that shows right there that you can be delivered from this stuff. Yeah. We prefer to think ourselves as a triage unit or a hospital. The Bible says, it's not the healthy you need the doctor, but the sick. I've not called to come righteous people, to call righteous people, but sinners for repentance. I've not come to call people that are in no need of Health, I'm here to, to, to the sinner. You know, and Paul, of course, being the big apostle, he said, of whom I am the worst. That's what Paul said about himself. So God came for all of us. And the, the ground is completely level for everyone that walks in these doors, no matter what your background is, what you've been through, what secrets are in your life, what sins you, 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 you struggle with. Nothing is shocking to Jesus or, or to us or surprising. Jesus just wants to bring freedom. He wants to bring real freedom and real traction in your life. And... You know, it's a big passion of ours, so if you want to hear more about it, we yeah. like to talk about it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I would really recommend uh, picking up soul care and just working your way through that with one or two people or, or in a small group. Um, otherwise, you know, we, yeah. the prayer ministry that we're offering, Mike and Melissa, his wife, um, there she is, <laughs> and, uh, and our friend Linda and other people, uh, do this prayer, this discernment, and pray yeah, for one another. Need, and, if you need some other testimonies on, and... and encouragement or knowledge on it. Linda has helped us with a lot of these and actually one of them is here today. So. And it's not, like, it's, not like, it's not like Hollywood. This is a normal part of Christian life. A normal part. It's become sensationalized. It's just a part of discipleship. That's all we're trying to say. The goal would be to, to, to see all of you free and to, to 
at least consider that, that these things are true from scriptural background, you know, and to, to not harden our heart to these things, but to know that it exists. It's, it's part of the part of the, part of the way. So as we're closing, I'm going to unfortunately can the final song. Sorry, Becca. You're the best. Uh, someone who actually prepared and, <laughs> um, we're going to have a, we're going to be having a potluck in just a few minutes. I encourage you to stay, but, um, trying to find the, the scripture that I was looking for and too many pages, too many pages. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for your people that they would be alert and of sober mind. I pray that we take seriously evil and sin and the spiritual realm, that we would resist, stand firm in the faith, because all of us are undergoing the same kind of difficulty. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Father, may we love one another, and I pray for each person here that they would have life, and life abundantly, life to the full, freedom from sin and oppression. That we'd be a place where people from the outside who are not part of the church, just like Mike shared, They'd be able to come in here and we'd be able to love them, to help them, as far as it depends on us. And for the people that I have not been able to help in the past, I pray your grace and your mercy would find them, that they would know the freedom that comes through Jesus as well. We bless the food, we bless the fellowship, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You are dispersed. Go and eat your lunch. <laughs>